turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I want to show you in this passage at the beginning, we started this way, and Paul was writing to the church, he said, to you that are sanctified, to you that are called out, to you that are saints of God, I have something for you because you live in a wicked culture, you live in a messed up culture, sex-filled culture. He said, you're missing something. And he says in that passage, he said in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, he said, grace be unto you and peace. From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He was on a mission. He said, guys, I'm going to tell you something that you're missing. You're missing peace. Peace is that inner calm. Peace is that inner assurance. Peace is that inner rest. He said, you're missing peace. Before I get into the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to take a minute and just talk about this. In Psalms 119 verse 165, it doesn't just talk about peace. It says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The word peace, let me just break it down. Let me explain what that peace is. It means safe, well, happy, health, prosperity, rest. Safe is the opposite uh, of feeling insecure, okay? If you you feel insecure, it's like, I'm just worried something's going to happen. Something's not right. Peace is that a calm assurance saying, hey, I know that things are all right. Well, it literally means that I, I know that everything is in place. It's a calm, it's a rest that he has for us. It's health. Sometimes we're like, I'm just so sick of this. I'm just worked up. I don't know what's going to happen. Or I'm I'm stressed about something. Peace is the opposite. But let me ask you, where does it come from? Great peace have they which love thy law. Love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. The nothing shall offend them literally means the offend. We, we have the offend like, uh, you, you've offended me. You've hurt my feelings. It, it means more than that. It means to trip up. So if you've offended somebody, you've tripped up the relationship. Put a stumbling block in there or given them occasion to sin. The Bible says that if you, if you great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall trip them up. When we make the law of God, the, the light unto our feet, the, the, what guides our path, what guides our heart. He said, if you have love for it. Now, now it, sometimes it's about rules. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, well, we don't do that because the Bible says we can't. And it's, or the church says we can't. Or the pastor says we can't. So great love or a great peace have they that love the law of God. Can you imagine if this was in my life? Can you imagine it like this? Let's, let's say I, I got, I'm, I'm married to my wife, Jenny, and, and, and somebody came up to me and was like, well, how's your life changed? Well, now that I'm married, I can't flirt with girls. You know, it's just like, wait a minute. Why, why is your attitude like that? It should be. I don't want to flirt with girls because I love my wife. Amen. There's a difference there. And sometimes we don't understand that with the Bible. You, you realize when you have a relationship with God, it's great peace of they that love thy law. It doesn't say great peace of they that obey the law. Like it's a bunch of rules. This isn't a rule book. It's a love letter. It's a love letter. God's given us these instructions. But I, I love how this passage says great peace. That we're great, that he says that I'm going to give you that rest, that calm, that assurance, that inner satisfaction. He said, I give it to you great. That word great literally means in abundance. It's fulfilling, satisfying peace. I'm going to give you the law of God today. 
I'm going to teach and I'm going to preach on something that the world would totally disagree with. But you know why I'm doing this? Because it's what God has said. And the world's way is not working and we can't do it the world's way. We must do it God's way. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul gets into a series, and we're going to get into uh, a series of messages that are all linked together, that all connect with this. He said, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, they live in a society that was so sex-filled that there was no boundaries, there was no limits. If you were to go into that city, they had this, the goddess of love up on there and that they had all these temple prostitutes and they would come down and they would do whatever and they, they would have sex and they'd have orgies and they had prostitutes and they had anything that felt good, anything that, that made man happy. It, was just, it, was, it didn't matter. It was, it was just a free sex society. It resembles a lot of things today. There, there is no boundaries with sex today. And I'm not just talking when the areas of porn and things like that, but I'm saying in the culture that we live in, people don't draw lines of what is right and what is wrong. It's just if it feels good, do it. If it, if it makes you happy, go for it. This church was adapting to the culture. They were adapting to the sin. And he said there is, it's reported commonly. Let me tell you, I've heard this about the church, that there is fornication among you. The word fornication is, is, comes from the same word that we get the word porn. It literally means to take something that God has made pure and to twist it into something else. It's, it's, it's a broad term. It means that, that to act as a harlot, to indulge in unlawful lust of either sex or, or the practice idolatry or to commit fornication. Fornication is a broad term used for sexual sins or sexual misconduct of any sort. There's, there's adultery. That is, you're in a relationship, with a, in, in a godly relationship of marriage, and you break the covenant, and it's called adultery. This is fornication. This is any sexual act whatsoever out of the bonds of marriage that God created to be. So let me make this clear, because I am a preacher and a minister of the gospel, and I have to spell it out the way that the Bible says. Number one, sex was created for marriage and marriage only. Paul was addressing the issue in the church because they stopped viewing sex outside of marriage as wrong. And so has our world. It's common. Paul said it's reported commonly among you. And he said it's gone so far that one person in your church, he, you can imagine Paul like this. He says, is it true that you've gotten so far that now one of the young men in your church is sleeping with his stepmom? So, well, it's not my mom. It was an incest or whatever. And he said, do you not understand that you don't understand that there is, there's boundaries and there's laws and there's, there's, there's instruction of what God's given us of what is right and what is wrong. So the world doesn't view this like you're viewing it. I know they don't. You know something that the world is lacking right now is peace. There is no peace. We have division, and we have strife, and we have people that are filled with anxiety, and we have young people that contemplate whether their life is even worth living out. They, 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 they contemplate suicide. We have young people cutting themselves. We have young people that are going through depression. We have all these issues, and we're not being willing to stop up and saying, what have we done to bring into our life that which is causing the opposite of peace? Because God didn't just say peace. He said great peace. When we don't live in the great peace that God's given us, we live with guilt. 
and regret and rejection and depression. And it's not God's way. It's not. I want salvation. And I want the blessings of God. I want to know when I call out to God that he's going to answer me and show me great and mighty things. I want to know when I'm sick or my kid's sick that I can approach the throne of God. I believe that God is the creator and the author and the finisher of my faith. I believe that God is in control of all things. I believe that with God nothing shall be impossible. And we claim that. We cling to that. We, we seek that out. But then there's another side of it that God says, let me explain to you sex And let me explain to you marriage. And let me explain to you purity. And in our minds, we're like, I want that, but I don't view that that way. And God says, it's not a buffet. It's not up to you to pick and choose. There is right and there is wrong. And there is no gray in the middle. And when we try to go back and forth saying, I'm going to live this way because this is what everybody else does and nobody views it that way and that's so unfashioned. And then we come over here and say, but I want the power of God and I want the blessing of God. But then we're living over here and God's not blessing and there's all these issues and we're not being the leader we should be. The Bible just lays it out and says, let me put it like this. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He can't be on the fence. You have to make up your mind. I'm not saying that there won't ever not be a struggle. There's going to be a struggle. I know that there's a struggle, but there should be a struggle. Not, I don't care. I'm just going to live this way because everybody else does it. We can't pick and choose. Let me break this down. Sexual acts outside of marriage are sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and I'm going to be going through chapters 5, 6, and 7. 5, 6, and 7. Next time I preach, five, six, and seven, five, six, and seven. When I get up to preach again, it's going to be five, six, and seven. Because there's so much. If you start reading through, you go like, wow, there's so much in there. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's break it down. Let's understand. But he said in chapter six, verse nine, he says, know ye that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he starts talking about who they were before they got saved. Now, can we just break down the word unrighteous? Unrighteous was that which is not right unrighteous, doesn't work, it goes against God. He said, let me explain the unrighteous. And then he starts illustrating what the unrighteousness that we used to be. Sometimes we're like, well, you just used to be sinners. God says, I'm, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm not just going to say sinners. And he starts labeling these. He says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, any people that engage in sexual acts outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor nor uh, adulterers, nor feminine, nor abuser themselves with mankind. And the list continues. But in verse 11, he said, can I remind you, and such were some of you. So if you lived a life before that was filled with, I'm going to do sexual acts, and I'm not going to be married, and I'm going to, this is just what I am, and this is what I do. Paul was saying, hey, do you know why you don't have peace? Because you're living in the past Rather than understanding the life that I now live in the faith, which I live unto the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're trying to live in this world. And God says, no, such were some of you. Now you are washed. Now you are sanctified. Now you are justified. You've been changed by the gospel. Literally, when I've impacted by the gospel, it hit my mind and I changed some things so that I can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not just looking like Jesus, it's having the peace of Jesus that comes with that. Any 
sexual sin outside of marriage is wrong. Any sexual act. Let me explain this. What is the will of God? So what was God's plan? 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3, which is also Paul's writing just to a different church. He said, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. He said, let me tell you what God's plan is. Let me tell you what God's desire is. Even your, your sanctification literally means of how to live separated, how to live different. That's where the word different comes. You're going to hear that. Different, different, different. Normal's not working. Live differently. Live biblically. He said, this is it. That you should, this is the will of God that you should abstain from fornication. The word abstain literally means, okay, that's not deep, cut it out of your life. I'm going to, if you're dieting, it's like I'm going to abstain from cookies. If I'm trying to do the right thing, I'm going to abstain from things that are going to pull me down. I'm going to stay away from it. It doesn't say I'm going to battle with it. I'm going to abstain from it. The Bible says that the marriage that marriage is the line that God drew for sex. Okay, so God just draws this line and he says, okay, sex, marriage. Unmarried, no sex. And by the way, that word fornication literally means sexual acts, period. I'll get into that in just a minute. But he says in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all. And the bed is undefiled in marriage. What is honorable in all? The Bible says marriage. And now, by the way, it's, it's, it's literally speaking about the bed or sex or intercourse or however you want to put it. It's talking about what is undefiled. Is, is, it's honorable when it's in marriage. So what is the opposite of that? Sex outside of marriage is unhonorable. It doesn't bring honor. It doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't bring honor to your family. It doesn't bring honor to yourself. Outside of marriage, the bed is defiled because the marriage, bed in marriage is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Now, whoremonger is a strong term. And sometimes if somebody came up to you and said, you're a whoremonger, you'd be like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know if that's bad. Okay. <laughs> just take the first part of that word and just get, a, get an idea. Okay. Um, not a good thing. Fornicators, whoremongers, it means it comes from the, the same word again of pornos. It means anything dealing with a one-night stand. Friends with benefits, cohabitating, shacking up, hooking up, casual sex, sleeping around. I could keep listing terms, but I think you guys get the idea. Sex was created for marriage and marriage only. But this is why, because God had an intentionality to what he did. God created marriage for specific reasons. God created sex as a bond for marriage. It was literally he created marriage and he created a bond for that. Marriage is so different than any other relationship. We have lots of relationships. We have friendships with friendships that come and go. We have relationships that come and go, okay? And by come and go, I, I, I literally means I'm connected to my cousins, but I'm not bound to my cousins. I'm connected to my aunt and uncle, but I'm not bound to my aunt and uncle, I'm connected to my mom and dad, but the Bible says a marriage, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. It doesn't mean that I disown them. It means that I don't connect to them in this way. 
But in a relationship of husband and wife, God created two separate people that are two separate in this, not, not connected by blood. Actually, they shouldn't be connected by blood in this instance. Not connected by blood. And God brings them together in a union that God has established to call the covenant of marriage. How does that stay together? Because it's a, a, a father and son could sit there and say, I'm done with you. I can't stand you. I want you out of my life. Well, you can separate in situations like that. But in, in reality, they're still your son and that's still your dad. You're bound by blood. You're related by blood. But in marriage, that's different. It's, it's, it's bound by a covenant. At the beginning of the covenant, he said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. The word leave and cleave, the definition is that God said, I'm going to create a bond, an attachment. I'm going, to, I'm going to have a wedding and the dad's going to bring the bride down and then he's going to give her away. And they're going to come up and make a covenant between them and God. And I'm going to bond them together in such a way that it's an emotional, spiritual, and physical bond between them. It says they shall be one flesh. Bone on my bone and flesh on my flesh. Literally meaning that God's going to make something unseparable. I'm going to make a union. Father and son, mother, daughter, cousin, grandparent, whatever. Nothing in the Bible has that kind of covenant or commitment. It is marriage. And in the marriage relationship of the covenant of two people coming together to say, till death do us part, God sanctified it, God blessed it, God anointed it with, it with a gift called sex. Now, sex was intentional. Sex was given of yourself. The Bible, the Bible says this. And they were both naked, okay? The Bible, it, 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 they, were, they were in their birthday suits, okay? They were, they were butt naked, okay? They had no clothes on. And they, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Because of the fact is that they were, they were standing there in a relationship designed by God to be lived out in a specific way. It's different than any other relationship. And then God gave them the gift of sex. And that passage is literally talking about it. It wasn't just standing there. Well, they were naked. God was not just pointing out that they were naked. The Bible was talking about the intimacy. You, you want to know the facts of that. Well, there came Cain and Abel. Do you know how that happened? Do the math, okay? God gave marriage the gift of sex. And sex brings people together in a way that is closer and more intimate than any other way. Sex creates an emotional bond. Sex creates a physical bond. It goes deeper than just two people coming together. The Bible even says in chapter 7, we have the illustration of this. And he talks about the, the, the man and the wife and then giving themselves to this relationship. Now here's the problem. The world doesn't promote it this way. They, they don't understand that, it, that, that, that sex is an emotional bond. That sex is an emotional connection that God gave. So what do they do? It's just like if you're dating and you feel led to do this or if you're one night fling or one night stand or I'm, I'm, I'm on spring break or I to hook up after prom or whatever, whenever it feels good, just do it because it doesn't matter. But what happens is, is the world teaches this and schools teach this and the government teaches this and social media teaches this. We have people now doing something that emotionally connects them together and then they're broke apart. 
That's why young people will break up and be like they've been engaging in a relationship that was designed for marriage. They're living that out. And then they say, I can't live without them. I, I, even contemplating suicide, depression, cutting themselves, deep rejection, deep uh, emotional identity crisis. Why is that? They stepped into a world and using something that was made to be a covenant and a bond and a commitment between two people that dedicated themselves at the altar of God, but they're doing it as just self-satisfaction and it's destroying people. And there is no peace. There's no peace. It's unsettled. I don't know if I'm pregnant. I hope so-and-so doesn't find out. I hope my parents don't find out. I hope I didn't catch a disease. I hope that picture doesn't leak. I, I hope, I hope, you just, and it's just, it's the opposite of purity. It's the opposite of peace. Stress, anxiety, sickness, frustration, all that comes. And God says, I never intended for that to happen. I used to do this illustration when I would, teach uh, young people on this. It's like God, God brought the relationship together the same way as if, if bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, you take two pieces of paper and you, you super glue that together because that's what marriage is. It's, it's, a, it's a bond. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You become part of each other's life. Even to the point where God created Adam, God then created Eve. And God took part of Adam and put it inside Eve. He was literally saying, you guys are part of one another till death you apart. You can't rip apart what God has done. And then take those two pieces of paper and glue them together and say, here's what happens. Now you break up. But you've already had this emotional, physical bond with the other person. Try to break. You, you have to rip it apart. It's not just separating. You, you, you rip apart an emotional connection that wasn't meant to be there in a dating relationship. Sex was created for marriage and marriage only. Number two, sexual purity must be guarded. It's not just a matter of knowing this, but I'm telling you, so many people will get into relationships or get into situations and they're, they're overwhelmed with this because they're like, I never meant for it to go that far. How did, how did you get that deep into the sexual relationship? Well, we started dating and one thing led to another. We've got to understand your spirit indeed is willing. Your flesh is weak. There's some things that you were never meant to be able to handle when it comes to this. You just weren't. That's why he said, I know it's going to be a struggle. In 1 Corinthians it doesn't 6.18, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, fight fornication. Battle fornication. Struggle with fornication. No, he said, flee fornication. I, I, I promise you, if I was to come in here with a snake... I throw it on the floor. I would not have to say, hey, everybody, by the way, I want to get close to that. Everybody would be jumping and jumping over chairs and yep. running in every direction. Yep. You say, why would we do that? Because that, that's something dangerous that I, I, I don't want that near me. And the, the illustration that the Bible was telling him is this, we've got to have the mindset for us, if we're single and we're, we're dating or have a relationship where we're the opposite, we've got to abstain and flee from those things that cause fornication. Notice how God addresses this. He said, flee fornication. Everyone that sinned doeth it without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. There's sins that are outward. But the Bible says, let me explain to you. and Let me show you how spiritual this is. 
Sometimes we try to make, well, I'm spiritual and I'm going to heaven and I love God and I pray, but what I do with my body is my business. God says, you understand that your body is the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. So listen to this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Do you understand how he put that together in the first verse when he starts talking about he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body? You are literally the presence of the Holy Spirit of God and you're crawling into bed with somebody that's not your spouse. You're dragging the presence of God into sin. You're misusing the temple of God that he's giving you in an unlawful manner. And then you know the thing is that we do that, we live in that thing and then we're sitting there asking God, God, please bless me, bless me, bless me. Guard your purity. Let me break this down. Number one, don't cross the line of sexual temptation. We ask the question all the time, how far is too far? Where, where do I draw that line? It's, and, and, and I'm not going to go into the detail of this, but we, we try to see how close it is that we get to the line. God made us and he knows our weakness. It was created for marriage and marriage alone. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1, Now concerning the things whereof we wrote unto me, it is good for man not to touch a woman. Now we know the word touch is like touch. That's not what this passage was talking about. When the Bible says in the Old Testament, New Testament, it says, touch not the unclean thing. It literally, does it literally mean just touch? It literally means to engage in something. He was talking about what is okay in a relationship or how far do you take. He wasn't talking about don't shake hands at church, don't high five, don't fist bump. He wasn't saying that. The word touch goes back into the same thing that we've been talking about with emotional connection. The Greek word means to attach oneself, to touch. The root word literally means to set on fire or to kindle or light. Let me explain it like this. And I don't know how many of you know this illustration, but anything in your house that has gas whether it's a hot water tank or, your, or whatever you have that you have, it, it has a pilot light. If you have a, a, a stove, a lot of those things have a pilot light on it. Everyone that was created by God is created with a pilot light, a, a sex drive, if you will. And the Bible is literally saying you better guard your heart because anytime you start touching the opposite sex in any way to stir up arousal or to turn them on, the Bible is saying, touch not, don't approach or touch the opposite sex in any way to turn on arousal. Literally to turn up the heat or turn on the gas when it comes to that relationship. Touch not the opposite sex in any way to turn them on. You say, I know how to quit. Me and my girlfriend talked about this and we're just going to shut her down when things start getting heated. Can I tell you guys, your brain might know that, but your body does not. It was created to be turned on through touch. It was not created to shut down because the bed is undefiled. As long as you are touching in those ways when it's in the bounds of marriage, there you don't have to shut it down. Actually, you can go hog wild with it. Go all out. <laughs> it's not wrong. Actually, the Bible encourages it. You know why? Because that's where the passion, the emotions, and the feelings, and the bond comes from. God says it should be present in relationship. Read chapter 7. Go back and read chapter 7. We'll be doing this as a church soon. But he says in, in, in 7 verse 2, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. To avoid it. It's marriage. Let everyone have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. That is the bounds of marriage when it comes to sexual things, to avoid fornication, we must be intentional of it. Number two, 
Don't set yourself up for failure. Your spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. Paul told them that. Avoid situations that will cause you to fall. The Bible says flee fornication. Your boyfriend comes to you and says, hey, let's get away for the weekend. No. You should come over. My parents are out of the house. You should come on over and hang out. No. They say, you're just being old-fashioned. Let me just tell you about yourself. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Nobody just throws away their purity. Nobody just throws away their virginity. It was we got together and things got out of hand and we went too far and now I have regret. Don't set yourself up to fail. Parents, I tell you, we, we, we can get to the point where it's like, well, we just let him and his boyfriend or him or her, and not that, let me go. We let her and her, her boyfriend just hang out in the basement. You're setting them up for failure. Do you not remember? Do you not know? Do you not understand what's happening? Don't date anyone that does not have your values. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 6.14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't date somebody that's lost. And you say, well, I started dating him. Dating's not a ministry. Can I, can I get an amen? Dating is not a ministry. Evangelism, missions, reaching the lost. But I'm going to date them and bring them to Jesus Christ. No, the Bible will never tell you to date somebody to bring them to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, For what fellowship hath right, righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath dark, uh, light with darkness? If they don't respect your biblical convictions when it comes to keeping yourself pure, dump them right away. You deserve better. You deserve better. And by the way, if they're not leading you when you're dating, how do you know they're going to lead you when you're married? You should set the standard to say, I'm looking for a godly woman. I'm looking for a godly man. Find someone that has respect for you and respect for God. If their attitude towards your purity is who cares and who are we hurting and we plan to get married anyways and I love you and if you love me, we would go ahead and do this. You say they're not a spiritual person. Then I just ask you straight up, why are you dating them? Ladies, if you want a godly man to marry, you better be dating a godly man. That's how it works. Ladies, watch his character. Date someone that respects your body and respects the Lord and wants to do what's right. You need to avoid long-term relationships. Let me explain this because you're going to say, what does that mean? A lot of people get engaged and they'll be like dating for like 10 years and engaged for 10 years. Paul said in verse 8, But I say therefore to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them that they abide as even as I am a single. But listen, verse 9, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than it is to burn. Does everybody understand that concept? When you're dating and you get closer and closer and closer to each other and you get to the point where God created you to have an attraction in a deeper level than just high fives. You will set yourself up and say, well, we're going to get married. When are you getting married? Five years from now. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Sexual struggles from then on out. And the Bible, I'm not, I'm not trying to give you my opinion. You should date long enough to get to know them. You should be engaged. Don't rush into it. I am not saying that, okay? I'm, I'm literally teaching the, the, the message of Paul. He did say, but when you get to the point, it's better to marry than to burn. I had a friend of mine that went to his future father-in-law and said, well, the Bible says it's better to marry than to burn. And let me just be honest, sir, we're we smelling smoke, okay? It's like, 
Things are getting a little heated and it's honest. Because the Bible, God created you to be magnetic in that way. Here's the next thing. Teach sexual purity to your kids. Because the world will never do it. The world will never do it. I'm going to ask every teenager right now to listen to this verse. When you start saying, get out of my business, It's it's my life, my body, my this. I'm reading the Bible to you, okay? So this is your God or your creator. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. So they must give an account that they might do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Mom and dad, it's your job for young people to watch for their soul and to guard their purity. Teach them. Teach your kids to live in such a way that one day you're going to meet somebody and your body is a gift to your spouse to be given to them on their wedding nights, not as part of a dating relationship. Teach them to strive and to protect your purity, to abstain from fleshly lust that war against your soul. Teach them to have standards in their life that they don't cross over that will set them up for failure. Teach them that one day they should walk to the altar and commit themselves to the other person and be able to do it in honor and purity and respect and be able to wear a white dress in respect to what that represents in their life of purity before God and the people that are watching. Teach them that their bodies are designed for marriage or one day for sex is designed for marriage. Teach them that sex outside of marriage is sin regardless of what the world says. Teach them. Teach them to guard their hearts. Hold your kids accountable. Set an example where they can see it lived out right to where they know what to look for in the opposite sex. The opposite. Hold them accountable. Because you can lead them down a path to righteousness or lead them down a path that they end up falling into sin and they have regrets and walk into a relationship and walk into a marriage and, and, and have to sit down. And I've been part of those things where they say, well, now I've got to tell my girlfriend before we get engaged about my STD. I've got to tell them about how many partners I've been with. I've got to tell them that there's this thing that might flare up in my I've got to tell them. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I close with this. Sexual sins can be forgiven. Let me remind you what Paul was saying, the truth. He said when he talked about, you know, you not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. And he goes through the list. But then he says in that next verse, and such were some of you. Paul reaches out to him and he says, hey, I know that you're dabbling in this and you've walked into this path that's sexually impure and wrong. But he said, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. God calls us to righteousness. Step aside and leave behind and put it under the blood of Jesus. He he said in that passage, he said, "But, but you are washed. Washed. You can take the dirtiest, filthiest part of your past the things that nobody knows about, that relationship that you had, those encounters that you have, and you say, oh, I'm so dirty before God, and you take it, and God says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't care where you've been, how much you've messed up, what kind of past you have, what kind of reputation that you have, Jesus Christ can clean up our past. Jesus Christ can set you free. I'm not saying that there won't be regret and scars that have there. But like Paul said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. 
I'm saying if you want to get up, God will help you up. If you want to move forward with purity and cleanliness and, and, and put it, the sin under the blood of Jesus Christ and saying from here on out, I'm going to do what's right. I want to live right. I, I can't be a double-minded man and unstable in all my ways where I'm asking God to bless my kids and bless my family and I'm living over here and doing the opposite that God says that's not who you are. Get it right. Get it right. Go back to Psalms. Listen to this. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I'm not not just offering you just some sort of old-fashioned philosophy. I'm offering something that would transform our lives to give us peace. You say, Pastor Tony, do you do you know how old I am? I'm saying if if you know this, praise God. But it's time we start passing it down to our kids and grandkids rather than getting on to them and saying, you were raised better than that. You're making your mom and dad look back. No, great love have the great, great peace of they that love thy law. Pull out the law of God and begin to say, can I show you what God has planned for your life? Your words of guilt tripping them into making a decision is not gonna transform their life. It's only the power of God's word that does that. I don't know where you're at in your walk with this. I just know this. God has better for you. God has so much better. He's not trying to give you, have you give up something and be like, I just want to cut all this good out of your life. God has so much better for you. His ways work. His ways bring peace.